prosecution outlined how accounting practices fuck? did not What kind of likeness is that? If they were great artists, they'll be in a museum. You fucking fodder for cartoonists now? Press Comics Podcast about the ins, the outs, the highs, and the lows of making comics. As always, with my co-host Cam, it's a it's another year, 2024. Welcome, listeners. New year, new you. You feeling any different, Cam? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, do you have any resolutions or anything like that? Uh, not really. I don't really do resolutions anymore. Yeah, that I never stuck to them, so I don't do them either. I have some things I would like to try in 2024, but. I'm not going to say those because then I won't do them. Mm. I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't have really any like uh, big goals other than just like surviving and getting my work done. <laughs> yeah. Actually, hey, uh, we need to make our way over to Detroit. So, Sean, bring us out for uh, Ann Arbor. That's oh, in Michigan. Yeah. So, I don't bring think us it's, out, bro. I don't, I don't think it's anywhere near Detroit, but... We'll be in the state. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send up the bat signal. <laughs> uh, it has been a minute since I've been in Michigan, though, so it would be nice to go back to visit. Yeah, I've never been, so oh no, it would no. be cool. Yeah, it's it's a good yeah. spot. I've been I've been to Detroit and I've been to Grand Rapids. Um, you remember yeah. John Bailey, right? Lord Baelish. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's a he's a Grand Rapids father boy of the year. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's crazy that he's a father. <laughs> yeah. It is pretty crazy, but the the baby is cute and looks oh, like yeah. the baby's healthy. So yeah, yeah shout yeah. out Nano Death and yeah. uh, baby Nano Death, I guess. <laughs> guess. Nano Death Junior. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, New Year. It's really feeling like nothing's changed, and uh, hopefully this New Year will bring some really great things for you, the listener. But some of you probably do have some New Year's resolutions, unlike me and unlike Cam. Uh, but uh, if you do have some New Year's resolutions, uh, you're probably going to need some assistance to stay on track in order to meet those new goals that you're setting for yourself. Very true. I don't even have, uh, you know, any kind of resolutions, but I still need to stay on track. And I've kind of figured out a way to do this. And uh, to be honest, it's uh, this little routine that I've uh, gotten into the habit of every morning, and it's called Magic Mind. Yes, it's a little matcha shot uh, that you take once a day. Uh, You can drink it with your coffee or your tea or whatever it is you do in the morning. It'll set you right for the whole day. And Cam, I know you have been taking less naps while you were taking Magic Mind. Unfortunately, it really uh, does. You've you've relapsed (laughs) because you're not on it right now. 
but um, when you were on it, you were actually skipping your whole eight naps a day break or whatever it is that you do. Yeah, I would, uh, you know, I would actually completely not nap at all. It was actually a miracle in that sense. And it was the one thing that caught me off guard the most. Um, so that whole midday crash thing, I always thought that was just some kind of like marketing jargon that you would hear. It's totally true. There is no midday crash. Yeah. I actually am looking forward to getting more Magic Mind. Uh, so that way I can be more productive in my days because even though I don't have any resolutions, like I said, I still have some stuff that I would like to accomplish this year and I'm going to need that extra boost. And uh, there's tons of things inside this little matcha shot that can help you. Uh, some of the premium ingredients uh, inside of it help this stuff work the way it's supposed to. And uh, as we mentioned, matcha, it's also got a uh, ashwagandha, which is an adaptogen that reduces stress and anxiety. So think about being less stressed and less anxious in addition to less tired. This shit is magic, man. It's in the name. When we first got this pitch to us in order to share it with other people on the show, we were very skeptical about even humoring the sponsorship just because it seemed like they were promising way too much for what we assumed was kind of just, uh, I don't know, like neo-hippie nonsense. But uh, turns out it actually works, too much to our both of our surprise. And without it, we're actually lagging. I, I, I've, noticed, <laughs> I've noticed that my ability to recall stuff and stay kind of like concentrated on certain things, like on tasks that I have day to day, has waned since I stopped taking it. Uh, so you're basically listening to two uh, junkies just need, needing their magic mind fix. So uh, if you want to yeah. help us out and help yourself out, you can go to magicmind.com backslash gutterboys. And if you use that link, you'll be able to get yourself 20% off. The Gutter Boys promo code will also get you for, I believe, the next seven days as of the airing of this, you'll get 50% off your first subscription year, uh, which is a great deal. Uh, I know a lot of you folks uh, go to, I don't know, uh, coffee shops. If you're still going to Starbucks, you need to fucking stop doing that. But if you go and you get your coffee every day or every other day, that's like four or five dollars. I know a lot of you guys really love your mocha lattes and your frappuccinos and whatnot. And that shit adds up. And this stuff really boils down to about three to four dollars per shot. I think it's less than that, actually. And if you use the discount code or use our link, uh, you have that. And it is a pretty solid deal. And like I said, the stuff really actually works. It actually does keep you focused. It keeps you on task. There's no crash, no caffeine crash involved. And uh, you'll pretty much just be on track the entire day uh, after just this one shot per day. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And again, uh, you can get up to 50% off your subscription for the next 10 days with our code GUTTERBOYS or by going to our link at magicmind.com forward slash GUTTERBOYS. And as JB and I have both stated, we need more of this. So I will be creating some burner emails to take advantage <laughs> of our own promo code. So, um, yeah, definitely give Magic Mind a shot. And uh, I look forward to going into the new year with a Magic Mind. Thank you once again, Magic Mind, for sponsoring this episode. Shout out to the good folks over there. They're, they're doing some great stuff. And I don't know what kind of fucking uh, mystery magic they're doing with this 
this little shot. I think that there's cocaine made. in it. Yeah, it's probably just yayo. It's just all yeah, yayo. Yeah, because uh, I need it, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and the taste. Fuck, I didn't even mention this. The taste. It actually does taste pretty good. Uh, I think there were some reviews of like other similar products, and they were talking about how it tastes like similar uh, advertised products tend to taste like fishy, which... I don't, I mean, I like fish, but I don't want a drink to taste like fish. That sounds horrible. Nah. Uh, nah. That was not the issue with Magic Mind. That stuff tastes really good. So yeah, go check it out. Thanks again, Magic Mind. All right. Now let's uh, get to uh, talking about our guest. Brian Canini is a Columbus-based cartoonist. I believe we met him, what, like two years ago when we were uh, there for MS Harkness's uh, Hawking Hills trip? Yeah, because they uh, gave us copies of the Scribbler. So yeah, that sounds right. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the Scribbler, if you don't know, is a what is it? A, a bi-yearly uh, news? Uh, bi-monthly, quarterly, bi-monthly. I wouldn't even try to give a time on it because I I don't know. I think it's quarterly. Anyway, you're going to know okay. when you actually read the interview or when you listen to the interview because this is a podcast, not a newspaper. But uh, it is a print newsletter slash newspaper slash comic magazine. Uh, it is free to the general public. They highlight Ohio-based cartoonists. Uh, some really great stuff in there. Uh, go check it out. If you're not local to Ohio, you can actually order them directly. And we talk about, you know, kind of like how he came about starting the Scribbler uh, and how you yourself can get a copy if you want to check it out as well. I mean, for, uh, for something that's free, I think you have to pay postage i think that's really about it if you want it right. mailed to you which is crazy but um yeah it was, it was good talking to brian he's a dad too right like he's got kids yeah family man yeah. cartoonist uh his work you know discusses being a family man and some of the autobio stuff as well and we get into all that um on the back half of the interview with brian it was a good time recorded back in october uh we will be back on our normal schedule as far as brand new interviews not in the can uh starting with the next one you know, we appreciate your all's patience with us through the holidays, but we look forward to bringing you all some great content in the new year. And uh, we're starting here with Brian. And uh, before we do uh, get over to that interview with Mr. Canini, uh, we want to go ahead and plug how we get the bills paid. You can go to gutterboys.top or patreon.com forward slash gutterboys. If you heard us on Thick Lines, that's another plug there. Uh, we talked about the uh, Joker manga with Katie Skelly. want to publicly thank her uh, here on this uh, normal episode. But um. You heard JB mention that, you know, he was proud of the content that we produced last year on the Patreon. And you can hear all of that every single episode we've done on the vaults for just $5 a month. More if you want to support us. And um, we uh, will actually have a travel recap episode when JB returns uh, about his trip to Japan. So that's something to look forward to there. Yes, I will regale all of you of my tales of pedophile comics that I find in, in Tokyo. By using the cartoonist kayfabe travel guide. <laughs> <laughs> the must-see spots they know all yes. about it uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah no i'm really excited maybe on a patreon episode i'll do a rundown of all the wrestling i'm going to be watching because i don't think anyone that listens to our, uh, our main feed is going to give a shit about that and not to say that anyone in our patreon wants to hear about wrestling either but you know it is what it is we do what we want to do over there <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, but don't worry that, uh, that particular Patreon episode will not just be about wrestling. Uh, but, uh, you know, just giving you a forewarning if you are a patron that, you know, heads up, there will be some wrestling talk. It won't take up the whole episode, I promise. But 
There would be something wrong with me if I didn't mention it, at least, in that episode when I come back. Very true. So uh, that gives you something to look forward to. We'll be back in two weeks. We got a couple guests on the bench waiting to come into the game. We're not going to announce who's next just because we have to figure that out. However, we've got some great guests coming up this year. And uh, speaking of great guests, on the other half, let's go ahead and get to it. Mr. Brian Canini, we'll see you after the break after this word from our sponsors. We'll be right back. And now a few words from our sponsors, the Santo Sisters. If you've ever been to an amazing rock and roll show and thought, I wish I could experience this moment again, but in comic form, then Sid the Cat magazine is for you. Fiercely independent show promoter Sid the Cat have joined forces with comics journalist Andrew Greenstone to bring you an ongoing publication that documents the SoCal indie rock scene. This stunning 52-page full-color magazine features comics, articles, photos, and illustrations from a rotating cast of local illustrators and writers. It's a celebration of Sid's artists and venues and supports those keeping the bleeding edge of the indie music scene alive. Our first issue covers musical artists Big Thief, Illuminati Hotties, Mike Kroll, Fucked Up, Finn Lilly, Katie Kirby, Kate LeBon, Cursive, Christian Lee Hudson, No Win, and so many more. If you are a fan of comics, indie music, zines, rock reports, or community by the way of culture, order a copy now at SidTheCat.com forward slash Sid dash zine. Again, that's SidTheCat.com forward slash Sid dash zine. Athenium Comic Art is an original art website for some of the best cartoonists in the business. They currently represent Remy Boydell, Marie Capel France, Nicole Gu, Jonathan Hill, Emma Hunsinger, Casey Nowak, Micah Song, and Tilly Walden. 
Athenium Comic Art gives fans the opportunity to own original piece of art from their favorite comics and support the artists that they love. In their short time in business, they've already shipped many iconic pages out to hardcore fans across the globe. Don't miss out on your chance to own a one-of-a-kind piece of history. Check out their website, AtheniumComicArt.com, and type in Gutter Gang at checkout to receive free shipping on your first order. Again, the website is AtheniumComicArt.com, and the code is Gutter Gang. Morning, Gary. Morning, Marianne. Need a menu? Nah, I'll just have the usual. You sure do love your eggs and coffee, Gary. Best way to start your morning, Marianne. Well, that and an issue of Town and County. What's that? Town and County is a new comic series written and drawn by cartoonist Alex Nall. He's that guy that wrote them books about teaching and that Mr. Rogers feller. Oh, he was such a nice man. The first issue is 36 pages of black and white comic stories with beautiful color covers and features six stories about folks in our little township here in Illinois, like Susie Barber, the house cleaner that uncovers her client's dirty laundry, if you know what I mean, and Stanley Pepper, that big feller that just lost his job and took to drinking every night at Bugs's Tavern. Well, ain't that something? Town & County is published by Ivy Terrace Press, headquartered in Chicago. Chicago? Who would want to live there? So dirty. Each issue comes with a copy of The Hometown Hero, our little town's newsletter, and it's only $8. $8? Where can I get it, Gary? You can order a copy of Town & County on the internet at storeenvy slash Comics. Oh, there's your breakfast, Gary. Thanks, Mary Ann. Ah, nothing like a cup of coffee and a good comic book. Rust Belt Review is a quarterly comics lit magazine featuring serialized and short form comics from some of the most exciting cartoonists in the small press scene today. Volume 1 features work from Gutter alums M.S. Harkness, Audra Stang, and Caleb Arecchio, along with work by Andrew Greenstone, Sean Knickerbocker, and Juan Jose Fernandez. You can order your copy of Rust Belt Review today by going to rustbeltreview.org. Enter in promo code GUTTER to receive two bucks off your order. Again, that website is rustbeltreview.org. Promo code GUTTER. The Last Aviatrix is a post-nuclear adventure comic by independent Los Angeles-based cartoonist Buster Cagle. The story follows Summer, our last aviatrix, who pilots the sole surviving airplane, a nuclear-powered B-29, as she travels the ruined world finding ways to survive and help humanity while dealing with the eminent threat of the Atomborn, a rare breed of atomic wizards that want to see her out of the sky. Her mission becomes complicated when she accidentally picks up Henry, an Atomborn child who wields incredible power, and Clementine, a berserker on a quest for vengeance. Can our aviatrix survive this ruined and irradiated way Land? Every issue can be read for free on BusterKegel.com slash comics. Paper copies can be ordered as well, but, you know, you can still read it for free. If you like Wizards or Warplanes, go check it out. Now, back to our program.
uh, welcome back from the break. Uh, more Columbus representation on the Gutter Boys podcast today. We've got a uh, very special guest today, cartoonist uh, known for his works in uh, the new issue of Airbag, which we'll get into, uh, Glimpses of Life, which is uh, auto-bio stuff there, as well as the long-running series Plastic People. In addition to that, Brian is one of the founders and uh, one of the editors over at the Columbus Scribbler. Uh, but uh, Brian Canini is on the pod today. How are you doing today, bud? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, I do want to go ahead and get into the Scribbler stuff first before we get into your career and, you know, your journey as a cartoonist. Oh, certainly. You know, founder. That's a, a pretty big title there. So <laughs> walk us through that. Are you a Columbus native? And you know what gave you the idea to put together this free newspaper? Yes, I am a Columbus native outside of like eight years where I decided to move to San Diego, but pretty much lived in Columbus my entire life. As far as the genesis of the Columbus Scribbler, that actually comes from uh, Jack Wallace, one of the other founders. He had this idea to basically just do like, he wasn't sure if it was going to be a magazine or what, but he came at me. It was one of the many uh, strange conversations you have at a comic convention uh, when you're just hanging out with people behind the booth. And uh, he wanted to kind of do something that got the community involved that we could kind of share the love of comics with. And when he brought the idea to me, I had just had a baby and I said no, because I was absolutely <laughs> exhausted and had no time to do such things. Sure. And then he got together with Steve Steiner, who's one of the other founders who at the time worked for the Columbus Dispatch, which was a local newspaper. And Steve's a great guy. and makes all sorts of hilarious uh, kind of Mad Magazine-esque parody things. That's his jam. And uh, he got Jack on the path of the newspaper. And then about nothing happened. And then about a year later, my wife actually uh, came to me while we were walking the dog. And she's like, you know, you should, what Columbus really needs is like a newspaper or something where cartoonists can like share their work. And I was like, wow. Jack told me about this like a year ago. I wonder if he's still interested in it. So I was the uh, I was the guy who came back to Jack and met him for lunch and pitched him his own idea back to him, and he was still he was still down for it. And we kind of combined forces, and that was that. <laughs> it's been how many years now that it's been running? Uh, we just had our five year anniversary. Hey, congratulations! Uh, as of CXC, yeah. Hell yeah! So, um, I do want to get into like, uh, well, I guess first, you know, Columbus is a very rich comic city, so it's only natural that you know you have a publication like this and that it can exist. However, are there a lot of hardships with it being free? Like, I'm assuming this is all funded from advertising and donations. Can you give any insight into, you know, the logistics of the finances of a free publication and how that works? Uh, yeah, absolutely. No, uh, we started it with a small Kickstarter campaign. And through that, we were able to fund the first issue and part of the second one. But I mean, the reality is there has not been a issue of the Columbus Scribbler that's come out that we haven't paid some something out of pocket um, mm. and that honestly we could do it like cheaper but we all feel strongly in that uh anyone submitting work deserves to be paid for it because there's something completely different from like you know 
putting your work out in a free anthology versus getting paid to be in something. So that was kind of one of our big uh, our big stances from the beginning. So I'm sure we could do it cheaper if we didn't pay people, but that's not something we want to do. And very noble. Yeah. <laughs> as far as logistics go, though, uh, yeah, we do have a number of advertisers. They uh, we had a. Uh, a couple comic shops, Laughing Ogre is a great comic store in town that uh, have supported us since day one and have always bought advertisements. And through the years, we've had advertisers kind of come and go. Um, but yeah, a lot of it's just sending out blind cold call emails to any business you can think of and keeping your fingers crossed that uh, they are interested in your cheap ads for a free newspaper. <laughs> for sure. Now, um, one thing I do want to, you know, kind of touch on here with like, as far as, cause it is, if I'm not mistaken, it is only Ohio based cartoonists that are in the publication and the issues that I've seen. Is that something that is, you know, stationary throughout the, the entire run? Yep. Nope. That's, uh, that's kind of the deal. It's meant to be, uh, local paper. So it's Central Ohio creators and cartoonists. Initially, we were just Columbus focused, but we've kind of stretched to kind of encompass the whole of Central Ohio, which I guess is pretty much everything except for the other major cities who we'd love to see make their own papers. But uh, I mean, and the reality is we've got just a ton of cartoonists in Columbus alone. So it sure. hasn't really been a challenge. And we've got the Columbus College of Art and Design. They have a comics program. So they're continually pumping in new uh, cartoonists. That was <laughs> going to be my next line of questioning there was, you know, just like, you know, getting the content. And if you felt like if it was like homogenous, like almost if it was like a good thing or a bad thing that you kept it local. But I guess if it's like a self-sufficient and like kind of, you know, cycles itself in and out, I can see it, you know, not being an issue then for sure. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm sure that'll there will come a point where we will run out of people to interview, and we'll have to reach a little further. But that point hasn't come just yet, at least. Hell yeah! So while we're on the subject of uh, the college, there does the paper work in any way with the the community there outside of you know reaching out and talking and and interviewing those people? As contributors? Uh, what do you mean exactly? Well, like, is there any any other symbiotic relationship going on? Uh, not really at the moment. Um, I mean, we reach out to... Uh, I'm friends with a lot of the professors there, so we reach out to them regularly to see if any of their students are interested in contributing stuff. But beyond that, it's, you know, time is precious, and unfortunately we all have day jobs. So it's not really something, anything beyond that at this point that we've done. <laughs> I don't know if that answers your question or not. <laughs> yeah, 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 it does, it does. Uh, so when I was living in Gainesville, I used to work uh, as a volunteer for a local culture magazine that was also free. And uh, the entire staff, including the editor, they weren't really making any money. The only way that it stayed afloat was through local advertisers. Yeah, uh, but. <laughs> you know, as, as great as that was, it, most months it was not enough. And so there were periods of struggle to just get enough cash to print the thing. So has that ever been an issue with your publication at any point in time? 
Uh, thankfully, not as of yet, but we do only come out with a paper two to mm -hmm. three times a year. So oh, okay, I okay. think if we were doing a, a monthly, we'd be in a completely different <laughs> realm of headaches, I'm sure. Right. Well, they say that, you know, print media, and I don't really think it's like books, even though I guess you could put books in there, but like, you know, like magazines and newspapers, they say they're just going downhill. And I mean, you've been hearing this narrative for the better part of two decades now, you know, but you've been running this. Egon from Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've been running this paper for half a decade now. Have you seen any kind of collapse in like the, uh, I know you're not doing a weekly, but like that format. Have you seen any kind of decline? Do you think it's kind of smoke and mirrors as far as, you know, that discussion of periodicals and the actual physical uh, print version of them? You know? No, no, I, I, I'm of the mindset that print will be around for ever. For sure. I'd, I'd love to, I, I'd love to uh, get on the stance that a uh, digital is going to wipe it out, but I know it's not. I mean, I, I work as a web developer in my day oh, job, okay, so okay. digital is definitely there, and it is a huge part of my life, but there is something completely different about print For sure. that uh, is way more satisfying. There's something special about seeing your work in print versus just seeing it on a website. And initially when we, there was a moment, I don't, it was probably around COVID, when we considered like, uh, maybe we should stop doing the newspaper because people can't actually go out and get a newspaper. Maybe we should just put it online, but that's, it's really not the same thing. And as far as uh, just being a cartoonist, there's something completely valuable in seeing your work in a publication in print that you can hold and share with people. It's, uh, it's something magical. <laughs> it's something I wish I had when I was a a young tuck. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So you did say, you know, growing up, you wish you had the advantage of, you know, seeing your own work in print. So were you uh, like comics and cartooning? Is this something that's been with you for a long time? Uh, I'm assuming you were always a kid that was drawing uh, because you made that remark there. Oh, yes. Uh, I think I started making my own comics when I was like six. Okay. I can place the blame squarely on Ninja Turtles. That I was... saw you thanked Eastman and Laird in the new book, the new airbag. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> and Windsor McKay as yeah. well. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, Eastman and Laird were huge part of my childhood as it was for anyone growing up in the 80s and early 90s. My first comic book was like an issue of Archie's Ninja Turtle Adventures as Hooked. And I made little uh when my friends would come over to uh like play at my house when i was little i would convince them that we needed to be play the game comic company and we'd just sit down and draw for hours <laughs> the old sweatshop was... style <laughs> yep pretty much pretty much <laughs> one friend one friend uh i would draw another friend would trace over my drawings with a ballpoint pen and then another one would color it in crayons and that was that's hell it. yeah <laughs> so you had the uh the jobs already now, was that just something because like, you know, as kids, you were like, hey, I'll do this. Or is that like a conscious thing? Like you were actually like aware that was the process at such a young age. I truthfully okay, couldn't yeah. tell you. <laughs> <laughs> it's just just how it worked. Yeah, out. for sure. <laughs> but what kind of stuff? I mean, obviously, it was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles stuff that you were like exposed to. But like what made it like in your head? Do you remember if there was like this moment where. 
you were like, okay, I'm going to make comics. Like, was there a certain issue, a certain book? Was it the turtle stuff? I couldn't okay, tell you at yeah. this point. I mean, I grew up uh, with the late 80s, early 90s. So I saw the whole image boom and where, you know, cartoonists were making millions of dollars per comic that they drew. So I'm sure that played into it. I was uh, into, well, I was into all the image guys. Uh, Eric Larson's still fucking awesome. Oh, yeah, for I'm sure. Concerned. Do you keep up with Savage Dragon still? It's insane. No, not as much as I used to. <laughs> but I, I, I think I, I picked up uh, issue like two fifty or something like a year or so ago. I'm like, yep, he's still, still at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like it's you know it's like Love and Rockets in the sense of it's uh, you know progressed in real time. So there's you know his kids, the Savage Dragon now, and yeah, it's oh, I know. Yeah, oh, okay, so you know a little bit. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Okay, I, yeah, I yeah. know enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, your stuff does not, it, you know, it's very interesting to hear you say, you know, like, you know, I was that inspired me because your stuff does not, you know, ring any like image bells at all in style or presentation or from a writing standpoint. So did you ever try to make work like that or? Yes, uh, we I think everyone who grew up in that age tried to make their version of Spawn like cable. or uh <laughs> young blood yeah. or yeah the billion cable clones or wolverine sure. clones uh yeah they they exist they never saw print uh by the time i started self-publishing it was kind of out of that phase but uh yeah <laughs> oh no i was just asking if you ever tried to make that work because you know i just couldn't see you you know oh. now looking at your work you know the stuff that i've seen over the past few years i just couldn't picture you doing like an image style book um so i just didn't know if that was like you know hanging out in the yeah. closet somewhere we, we all have a we all have our path who knows maybe one day i'll make an image book just for fun but <laughs> hell yeah so how are you normally getting your comics uh comic shops occasionally when i was younger there was like a convenience store that I'd go to down the road, but mainly comic shops. There was one down the road from my house. My first comic shop was called All Bases Covered, and it was very much the, you know, classic 90s collector boom shop. Got a whole bunch of stuff, small store, bunch of back issues, and then they shut down somewhere in the mid 90s when everything was going belly up so all the bases were not covered nope yeah. not at all <laughs> <laughs> and then they uh they referred me to the laughing ogre and i met gib the owner and befriended him and have been going there pretty much ever since but great shop yeah for sure i ask because i find it interesting that i mean like when i was growing up kids my age we didn't really go to comic shops Comic shops were kind of like this like weird place that adults that wore D&D shirts went to. Oh, they were definitely weird. <laughs> and so we just didn't go there. Uh, there was only one shop in my hometown that, that I knew of. Uh, and I, I don't think I even stepped foot in that store until I was like in high school. But before that, the thing to do was just go to, like you said, like a convenience store, like 7-Eleven or any other <laughs> chain that would just have them on the news racks. Yep, no. Uh found comics everywhere. <laughs> so 
I understand. And, Which is sick, because I mean, you know, like, I, I, yeah, I feel like, you know, not everybody has that, because like, uh, it just brings up like, you know, the age old discussion of distribution and how it used to be so much better, because there were so many different ways, like, it's awesome that you were able to get a comic, go into a comic shop, but there were so many different avenues to it back in the day, and it's really a lost, you know, it's really lost uh, in the industry, and it's a, it's a shame. Oh, without a doubt. Now, um, did you have any kind of formal education? Um, I know you mentioned that, you know, you do like, uh, was it web design, you said? I do, uh, yeah, web design, okay. web development. Now, I, I went to art school. That's what I was going to ask. Was there art school in the mix, or did you do like tech school? But okay, so art school. I, I yeah. went to both, I guess. <laughs> I, as the story goes, I went to uh, arts school straight out of uh, high school. It was a little college in Cincinnati uh, called Antonelli, and it was just an associate's program. I went for graphic design. I mainly went there because they were the only college at the college fair that actually had something to do, had like comics on display as far as like, we have a comic class. And I'm like, oh, well, there's there's my school. I don't <laughs> I want to learn how to make comics. So and then after uh, after that, I was 21 and I drove across the country and ended up in San Diego and spent about a year doing the retail shtick uh, because I soon found out that when you go to college, if you move across the country, they probably won't help you find a job. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the graphic design degree was kind of useless, but <laughs> I mean, I learned how to do Photoshop and all that, which I guess has served me well. But after about a year of that, I went back to school in San Diego at one of the art institutes and learned web development because I felt like the internet might be a thing. Yeah. Good foresight there. So, <laughs> in, you know, yeah. like, well, and it's interesting because, you know, you said that you just move, you know, and you have these like, I don't want to say like delusions of grandeur. I think it's just being young, you know, um, and not knowing how the world works. Oh, yeah. And that is one thing. It's like, you know, it's these places can't even help you find a job. So, and this is me being a little like nihilistic about education, but Oh, no. Yeah, how do you yeah, like how do you feel like about like art school? Like, do you feel like it was an, a valuable experience? Obviously, you took it in a different direction and you, you know, went after something that you could make a living with. Um, but as far as separating the, you know, web element and just, you know, the actual like art study and like, you know, making comics and creating as an artist, do you feel like school was for you or do you feel like, you know, it's something you would have avoided in hindsight? And would you recommend someone? seek out formal, you know, training. <laughs> Everybody has different answers on this show though, so there's no right or wrong uh, one, you know. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer to that question. I mean, school's great as far as you can get a lot from meeting people. I feel like that's what college is mainly for is making the most expensive uh, networking. Yeah. <laughs> yes, the most expensive networking you can yeah. ever do, but do I regret going to college? No, I I learned a bit. I I don't know. It's it's hard for me to say. Like I wish I could have done things differently. Like yeah, in hindsight, moving to San Diego, one of the most expensive cities in the U.S. to pursue a career making comics, probably not the best move. 
<laughs> I mean, because, you know, I spent a vast majority, more time than I wanted to working a shitty retail job versus uh, making comics. If I were to do it all over again, yeah, probably stay in a cheaper state. That would be more beneficial, uh, you know, where I could work a couple days a week to make rent and then spend the rest of the time drawing. Mm -hmm. But I don't even know if that's true anymore. I mean, when I moved to San Diego, that was like 2004. And when I was going to college initially, it was like 2001. I had rent for like $450 for a two bedroom apartment. And that's, I know that doesn't exist in Columbus anymore. It didn't exist that way in San Diego. Right. Don't get me wrong. I'm referring to an apartment in Cincinnati at the time. But yeah, but then there's the other side of me, like because I moved to San Diego, because I went back to college there, I started working on a epic graphic novel that was going to be like Roger Rabbit, where I took a bunch of photographs of actors and was going to add in my characters and stuff because I started that project that all eventually led to me reconnecting with my wife who I went to high school with and we ended up getting married so and had all that stuff not happened I don't know that I'd be sitting here happily married with three kids so hey there you go so it all kind of you know worked uh, out in it's, its own way it's all yeah it's life is a weird series of connections sure. that end up telling some weird fucked up story. All right. So um, when did you actually start making, I mean, you were playing comics company as a kid, you said. So when did you actually start making comics for consumption? Like actually like making them, distributing them? I uh, self-published my first comic senior year of high school. Okay. Uh, 18. I found out about a local convention that's still going on space. Mm, okay. Yes. Right. I found out about that. There was like a flyer at the laughing ogre. And it was like, you know, send a check to this random address and you could get a table. And so I sent a check and <laughs> got a table and was like, oh, crap, well, I better make some comics to uh, make this happen. So ended up in typical 18-year-old fashion, like busting out like three little 20-page comics. And in, I don't know, six months before the convention, I went to Kinko's and... Made a bunch of copies uh, and stapled them and all that fun stuff and did my first convention. And uh, yeah, that's where it all started. First convention, uh, Jeff Smith was there and showed up and wandered around and he bought one of my books, which I thought was, you know, the end all be all. <laughs> and uh, what a first show, right? Oh, yeah. You're telling me. <laughs> so. Were these like, you know, like, uh, you know, you printed these at like a Kinko's or a print shop, I'm assuming? Oh, yeah. No, I, I printed them at a Kinko's. I folded and stapled the night before, stayed up way too late, was, you know, exhausted by the time of the convention. But you, when you're young and doing that kind of stuff, you just kind of work off pure adrenaline. And that was... That was that. So you said this was high school. So how did you what how did you know like about like zine culture and DIY, you know, comics? Like what uh I guess just being in Columbus, you were exposed to it? I couldn't tell you at this point. I <laughs> I I pretty much just uh, I had been making my own comics at home and so I figured, hey, maybe someone will buy it. I think the Laughing Ogre probably had a shelf of uh local cartoonist comics. 
that I had seen in passing. But yeah, just took a shot, kept my fingers crossed, hoped that they would take pity on me for being a, a youngling. And now you're pretty <laughs> prolific. I mean, I I've got over ten of your books, and I was looking at your web store in preparation for the interview, and I mean, you've got so many on sale. And you mentioned at your first show, you did three 20-page books. So that's like 60 pages of content just for your first show. Are you constantly cartooning? Are you constantly drawing and doing comics like in your free time? I know you're a father and you have a job and all that. But as far as like, <laughs> I mean, I feel like you're pretty prolific, all things considered. Uh, yeah, no, it's uh, the thing about uh, having kids is that it kind of makes you look at time differently. I've always been constantly drawing. but once you have kids, you kind of uh, realize like how much you can accomplish in like an hour or 30 minutes if you're actually like focused on doing it. I feel like I wasted a hefty chunk of my 20s like waiting for the mood and uh, not just sitting down and doing the work and trusting my gut. I feel you there. I, I mean, I've, I've done the, uh, let's see here. So when I was... Uh, 21 I moved to San Diego and I wanted to make the dream happen so I looked to my heroes of Eastman and Laird and another example would be a uh, Cerebus and I'm like well how'd they do it like they went to a, a printer and printed off 3,000 copies of their comic and sent it off to people and made headway so in my mind I was like okay well I just need to make a comic and I'll do 3,000 copies, and that was that. And that was like, that was Ruffians, uh, which is like my crime comic that I did in my 20s. And the first issue, I made 3,000 copies. I still have boxes of that in my <laughs> attic. <laughs> they're, they're uh, you know, lining our house for heat. Um, and yeah, I, I was starting, what I didn't realize was, you know, Eastman and Laird and Cerebus and all them, they were coming in this in the late 70s and early 80s when the uh, comics shops were starting up. So they had this big captivated audience and it was different than, you know, 2004 when the industry had collapsed and people were starting to look more toward the web. So I, <laughs> um, but I'm trying to cycle back to my point here. <laughs> um, no, uh, I did that for like five issues of just like, I'm going to go to this print. I mean, I even went to the printer that Ninja Turtles used, the Morgan printing, because I was that like, yeah, and I got it printed on newsprint because that was the thing. <laughs> and this was all before, uh, what is it? Digital printing was huge and everywhere and i did about five five issues and then i was like well this sucks i'm constantly poor i'm paying for you know boxes to sit in my house or my apartment at that point and so i should go find a publisher and i looked at my first issue because obviously you're going to use what you have and i'm like well this first issue is garbage so i should redraw it which I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but redrawing anything is a mistake. Yeah. Like, especially once it's done, uh, because you just second guess yourself to death. And that's what I did. I, I spent like the next five years working on redrawing the first issue and making it perfect for a publisher. And I ended up with like 
maybe maybe 28 pages after five years <laughs> <laughs> and it was uh it was a complete waste of time and energy and around that time i a friend of mine that i met through a convention uh chris monday he came out with his first book drink more water which is just a collection of journal comics and i got it and it it was like books in your career where you're like that like changed my perspective of what things could be and that was that was one of them for me because it was just it was a daily journal comic some were drawn better than others but the purpose of it was just to draw every day and so once i got that i went back to san diego and i'm like oh, i'll give this a try so i i did that for a year and ended up with a book called fear of flying which was my first journal comic book my first completed book and that kind of that was like the big shift for me as far as uh making things because journal comics can be about you know anything and they can be written anyway and i tried to experiment uh with i experimented with everything it was the first time i picked up a brush pen it was the first time in eight since i was a kid i like hand lettered things um and it just completely loosened up the process for me and yeah, I was making comics about things that happened during my day, just random ass thoughts. Like, I think I made a, a comic about Cheese Whiz at some point. It was just weird shit. But just working through it and putting it all when on the you page, get in the yeah. habit. Yeah, when, but I guess the, the point is like when you get in the habit of drawing every day, then it becomes a habit and you stop like second guessing every line that you put on the page you just kind of go with your gut and let it just flow out and once i got over that hump things became a lot easier as far as producing goes because you just kind of i don't know you just go with your gut i guess but i don't know i, I don't want to pretend that it's just that simple either i'm sure there's like that hundred hours or what or well, i'm sorry 10,000 hours, that's what it Yeah, is. right. To be a master. <laughs> you have to go through to be good at anything. And I think Dave Sim said that when with comics, uh, when you start out, like first you're fast, then you get good, then you get good and fast. And I think that's a true statement, even if he is, uh, you know, even if his thoughts on other things are shaky at best. Um, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, definitely. Sim Sim definitely went off the deep end. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh I mean if we want to talk about productivity, I have all sorts of thoughts on it, but I'm happy to share. <laughs> I I guess the the biggest thing would be just, you know, not to be precious and just let it be how it is. And changing tools and paper sizes are huge for me at least makes life easier because it keeps your it keeps you interested in the whole process of making things because i don't know about you guys i get bored if i'm using the same tool too long or if i'm working at the same size uh, of a page likewise i like to uh do several projects at once and for best results being very different projects so if i'm doing something serious i want to do something goofy so if i'm not in the mood to work on one thing i can work on another thing and just keep it flowing 
Hell yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, your new book, Airbag Number 2, Brian, um, it is uh, more of a collection of just like, it, it seems like you separate your work. You've got your fiction stuff and then you've got your autobio stuff, but then some of the stuff in Airbag could be read, you know, as inserted, I, I, I don't know what to call that, inserted fiction. Uh, you know, I feel like it it definitely has like a thread with your autobio work, but when you're approaching, you just mentioned and kind of teed it up perfectly as far as... Uh, you know, working on different things. When you're approaching a book that's not auto-bio, is your process different than when you're, you know, just making journal comics and whatnot? Uh, yeah. I mean, when I'm making journal comics, I'm just kind of sitting down and uh, writing it on the page as is uh, with a lot of the short stories and short fiction. My process is, my process tends to be figuring out a script uh, whether that is, you know, just notes in a little notebook with some uh, thumbnails or like a proper script in a Google Doc, it kind of all depends on the story. But yeah, it's different. And as far as the difference between autobio and fiction, uh, one could easily argue that everything is autobio to some degree. Sure. <laughs> and I completely agree with you, Airbag 2 probably has, well, I know it has way more auto bio in it then i'd probably ever be willing to admit to yeah and i didn't mean that as like a bad thing i guess i just meant it was very personal uh you know when you read it you know oh no yeah. without a doubt <laughs> that was uh the issue that i approached as like if i had to make one last comic like this is what i want it to be <laughs> because you've worked with auto bio and fiction and you've dabbled do you have a preference at this point no, I truthfully have not met a genre that I don't enjoy writing, at least every now and again. I think uh, I get burnout from autobio and journals. Uh, you can only do journal comics for so long before they consume your life and uh, take con complete control of it, which is why it's always good to have kind of a set time frame for when you want to... Uh, stop doing journal comics. I really like fiction or just short fiction right now. That's kind of been my jam as of late, but no real preference. With Airbag, I like to try and, at least for right now, I like to tie things up into some sort of theme so all the stories kind of have a dialogue with one another and bounce off of each other, feel like they fit together, I guess. But yeah, I don't know that it needs to be wrapped in any sort of a specific genre as it were. Sure, right, sure. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, that, I think that sentiment of needing a change of pace is something that I hear often, especially people that specifically kind of build their career on auto bio and journal comics. I know Kevin Budnick has gone to great lengths in kind of discussing that in terms of like their experiences working on their journal comics and, you know, the eventual burnout and, you know, it, it, it can cause a lot of internal strife. Oh, yeah. But out of that, you know, it can also lead to a lot of new creative directions and uh, sort of a renewed interest in doing other things like fiction. Oh, without a doubt. Do you see yourself moving forward, just kind of continuing that back and forth of, of doing the, the journal and the autobio stuff, and then also kind of dabbling in different kinds of fiction? Uh, with, I'm, I'm sure that'll be the, the case. I, I don't see any end to the journaling at this point. 
now that uh now that I have kids, it's become more of a well, I'm gonna <laughs> gonna make this so that we can kind of have this family history, as it were, of uh where we were at these certain moments. Mm, so okay. I'm always gonna I'm sure come back to it just because it's fun for the kids to look at where they were, you know, X number of years ago. And it'll be eventually, I'm sure, a way that they get to know me beyond other work, assuming they actually read the comics, I guess. <laughs> sure, yeah. There's always that possibility. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. No, I, I don't see any stopping on, I guess, either front. Like I said before, it's I, I enjoy having different projects running at the same time. So I've got like Plastic People is my, my sci-fi thing. I just finished uh, Applewood Canyon, which was kind of a satire on America. And then I've got Airbag with all those short stories. And I use different tools for all of them. So it's just, I like keeping myself guessing at, and not giving myself an excuse if I don't feel like working on this thing. It's good to have other projects that I can sit down and do. Especially with kids, your time becomes super limited. So I'm one of those people that does the like crazy thing. Like I'm going to, I wake up at 5 a.m. just so I have an hour of uh, quiet time at the house to <laughs> work on things and think before, you know, before the day starts and I get burnt out from life. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hell yeah. All righty. Well, uh, Brian, before we get out of here, uh, we did get listener questions for you. And as always, if you want to participate with the show, uh, follow us on Instagram at gutter boys pod and, uh, me at cam del Rosario and JB at Mort crimp jr. We post, uh, little questions, uh, that you can ask our guest. And, uh, Brian, we did get a couple for you. First came from, uh, Instagram user at Micah Nova. They said, Brian, what's Bluto got to do with it? And then uh, <laughs> in parentheses, that fabulous cover of Airbag One made me think of Bluto from Popeye. Yeah, the the guy on the cover of Airbag Number One is a, a mix of actually Bluto and a Captain Haddock from Tintin. And I guess the, the story behind the cover was I was, uh, let's see, we'll back up a second. I was, <laughs> uh, when I was trying to come up with a, a short story anthology, I really didn't have the foggiest clue of what to name it. So I kind of dabbled my toes in initially with some mini comics that I just simply named like two stories and it had two stories, uh, three stories and it had three stories. But I knew if I wanted to keep doing that because I was having fun making the short stories that I would have to come up with something interesting sounding. And uh, I mean, you know, you got like eight ball and King Cat and Grexley, and they all have this kind of air of mystery about them as far as what could actually be within the pages. So I was kind of searching for that. And along the way, I kind of stumbled onto different names, one of which was uh, Iceberg. And when I came up with that name, I instantly was like, oh, well, the cover should just be like a ship getting stuck in an iceberg. And well, someone should probably be driving the ship. And I liked, I like Popeye and I like Tintin. So Bluto was <laughs> Bluto was there, and then when I I eventually stumbled onto the name Airbag, I think from a I think it's a Radiohead song uh, that I was listening to on the way to work one day, and so that's how that 
came about and I still like the cover idea. So that's, that's where Bluto came from. And yeah. And then I just thought it would be funny if he got murdered by wolves on the back. So that's hell that's yeah. That. <laughs> uh, next question is from past guest, Alex Knoll. Alex asked, Oh, what's up, Alex, by the way. All right. Alex asked tips on how to keep multiple project storylines going at once. <laughs> Well, well, first of all, hi, Alex. You're awesome. And uh, yeah, I love Town and County. <laughs> yeah, it's a great comic. Multiple storylines at once. I just, uh, the biggest tip I can give is just to make them uh, different from one another. Yeah, that's, uh, I keep uh, Google Docs like nobody's business for notes and scripts. And I'm one of those uh, cartoonists that will write scripts and just sit on them for when, until the time feels right to actually draw them. But uh, as far as just keeping multiple storylines going, just make them as different from one another as possible. That way, when you're not working on one, you can move over to the other and it actually feels like a break and not like you're working on the same thing. And that can come in a variety of manners, whether it be like the genre of the story or the, just the tools that you're using to actually make the comic or the size of the paper you're drawing on. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all I got. <laughs> Hell yeah. So our next uh, Instagram question came from uh, Max Schaller at Max Schaller Art. Uh, how do you go about getting ads in the Scribbler? Uh, Max. <laughs> um well there's two answers for that i guess i'll go with the one that i don't think he's asking for first which is uh to get an ad in the scribbler you just go to the website and buy an ad <laughs> but uh i think he's asking for like how we get advertisers which is really just going out and pounding the pavement and sending out a lot of emails and crossing your fingers, knowing full well that a lot of people will never get back to you because you'll be destined for their spam filter or whatever. But yeah, as far as the scribbler goes, like I said earlier, uh, I mean, there hasn't been an issue that we haven't paid out of pocket. So I mean, at the end of the day, if you want to make, if you want to make something, don't let like advertising be your hang up or the deciding factor as to if you're going to actually come out with it or not. For sure. I think that answered his question. <laughs> Next question is from Jazz Heiss. Hello, Jazz. Uh, Jazz asked, favorite color? Favorite color is green. Mm. I don't know. I have no idea why. Uh, what shade just, are we talking here? Just green, green. Okay, classic. It, I, can't even, I can't even get like, a, you know, art school nerd on you and say a specific green. It's just plain old green. If we're going to dive deep into like couch psychologist mode probably ninja turtles yeah but i was just gonna who say the fuck knows uh, <laughs> that's fair that's fair yeah yeah uh awesome. well uh brian how can people uh find you online if they want to check out more of your work buy your comics etc uh buy my comics uh my website's briancanini.com and then you can view my work and things in progress on instagram at uh brian canini Pretty simple. <laughs> Hell yeah. And if you want to keep them from uh, spending their own money on the Columbus Scribbler, you can order the Scribbler online as well, right? If you're outside of Ohio. Yes. Uh, you can uh, 
we have a Patreon for the Scribbler. So if you sign up, it's like a dollar a month and we'll send you, we'll mail you the Scribbler the two to three times a year that it comes out. Or you can check out the website at columbusscribbler.com and we usually have a, a PayPal link for the latest issue of the Scribbler, which we charge like five bucks online just to cover the glorious U.S. Postal Service. Hell nice. yeah, that's what's nice. up. Well, uh, Brian, we do want to thank you so much for uh, stopping by the show. And, um, you know, listeners, as always, uh, thanks for uh, being here and uh, stay gutter. Thanks for having me.